little, how is it that Christians can sing how great is our God in this world? In this kind of world that we live in. It has troubled me. Let me explain to you. The internet has opened up the world to us. Every day we read world news, local news, wikis and blogs, tweets and Facebook. Arguably, we know more about the world than any other generations. Every minute, we have our fingers on the world's pulse. So let me ask you, what do you think of this world? How do you think we are doing as a human race? Well, we are more knowledgeable and more educated than before. In America, the census finds bachelor's degree at record level in 2012. But as you know it, doesn't lies and scams, racism and road rage continue among the educated? Technological advancement got us more connected than ever. Smartphones, Facebook, WhatsApp, 3G, 4G, LTE. With that, at least three Malaysians are cheated every day by cyber lovers, according to this week newspaper. We are the wealthiest generation. And yet, according to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. Corruption and greed, perversion of justice, still prevails in this world. You know we can go on the whole morning with this, but you get the point, don't you? Don't you feel like you need a pop of Prozac or a shot of vodka, dry or on the rocks, every once in a while? We seem to have made so much progress. As AAsia puts it, now everyone can fly. And yet, fundamentally, in this world, nothing has improved. We are still the same dark and corrupted world with a gloomy future we always had. But you may say, Kenneth, you are biased. You are cherry-picking materials to suit your argument. But you have the same internet access that I have. You have the same newspaper. And doesn't your personal experience of disappointment and despair of frustration and fear pushes you to admit that it is quite a dark and gloomy world we have. So in such a dark world, how is it that Christians can sing how great is our God? Today's newspaper, fresh from the oven, can Christians read these papers Find out what has been happening in the last 24 hours and still sing how great is our God. Well, this morning in Isaiah's world, we meet some very gloomy Israelites, just like us. Let me show you. Chapter 8. Take a look. Referring to the Israelites in verse 22, it says, And they will look to the earth 
But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And what was so gloomy about their lives? Well, earlier in Isaiah, we've really learned that war was at hand. They will soon witness the devastation of the northern kingdom by the Assyrian Empire. Beginning from the northern states, Zebulun and Natalie. Similar to how Malaya was invaded and conquered in the Second World War from the north. And why was Assyrian attacking Israel? Why? We saw last week in chapter 8 that it was God who was behind the scene raising up the Assyrian army to judge Israel. But why was Israel judged? What have they done? Let me first tell you a story. There was a man who spent his life savings and bought a very fertile land up in Bentong. I don't know up or down. Bentong. He personally prepared the ground every day, digging it every day under the hot Malaysian sun. He then planted it with pop grapes durian seeds that he travelled the world to collect. You know that Bentong is good for durians, isn't it? He protected his beloved trees with fences and German shepherds and CCTVs. And over many years, he poured out love and sweat into this durian plantation. But guess what? It yielded the worst durians. It was dry and hard and sour and rotten. Every single year. What would you suggest the man do to such a durian plantation? What would you do? I would cut it down and burn it again and again. Wouldn't you? Well, that story is my modified version of a vineyard story that's found in Isaiah 5. Read with me, Isaiah. Let me read to you Isaiah 5 from verse 3. You can follow if you want. Verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. Verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the man of Judah are his planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, outcry. Verse 20. The Israelites, they call evil good, and good evil. They put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Do you see what's happening? The gloom and the darkness of the Assyrian attack was just symptomatic of a deeper darkness that was found in Israel. Take a look at Isaiah 1. How is Israel like? 
Reading from verse 2 in chapter 1, he says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up, reared and brought up, but they rebel against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquities, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. This is Israel. And the Israelites will be facing the gloom of God's judgment through Assyria. What do you think? Do you think they deserve it? Of course, isn't it? They have been walking in darkness, in sin and in corruption, in injustice and in unrighteousness. And in fact, their dark ways of living are just symptomatic of an even darker attitude. They have been forsaking and despising their God. The vine dresser who so loved and so cared for them. Well, that was the gloom and darkness for Israelites in Isaiah's world. How about the gloom and darkness in our world? Yes, the gloom of the Assyrian attack was unique to ancient Israel. We don't expect Assyrian to be attacking us anytime soon. God was judging them for their wickedness and unfaithfulness as God's chosen people. But the way Israelites walk in darkness, living in sin, that isn't that unique after all, isn't it? For example, let me read to you Isaiah 5.20. Those who call evil good and good evil, those who are wise in their own eyes, those who acquit guilty for a bribe, all that sounds far too familiar to me because they seem to be referring to not just the Israelites, isn't it? The book of Romans describes humanity as a whole in this way. Let me read to you. Romans 1.29. Referring to mankind, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of the evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Doesn't that have such a contemporary ring to it? It sounds just like the dark world you and I live in and are part of every day. Friends, do you see? Their walking in darkness, Israel's walking in darkness, is just a microcosm of the rest of humanity who walk in darkness as well. So the bad news is, the holy God who did not tolerate Israel's dark ways will not tolerate the rest of humanity's dark ways. Just as there was a gloom of God's judgment on Israel's sin, there is a gloom of God's judgment 
on the rest of the world. Isaiah 24, it says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth, that is the earth, not just Israel, and make it desolate, and he will tweet his face and scatter its inhabitants. That's scary, isn't it? But rightly so. For we have agreed earlier that gloom of judgment is the appropriate consequence for people who walk in darkness, who so badly treated their God, who created them, who love them and care for them. Israel deserved judgment for sure. For the ox knows its owner, the donkey knows its master's creed, but Israel does not know. God's people does not understand. And the rest of humanity deserve judgment as well. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. But for some of you, I'm sorry that the world just got darker than you thought, isn't it? And yes, I do know, I've not started on today's passage. Don't worry, we will end on time. If you get this, if you get what we have been saying in the last 15 minutes, today's passage will jump alive very quickly. Point two. But for Isaiah's world and for our world. At the count of three, everyone look up. At the count of three, we will all stop breathing for 10 seconds, unless you're asthmatic. Okay? One, two, three. <sighs> Did you cheat? You wouldn't work if you cheated, okay? The point is, if, we, if you do not know that you are suffocating, you won't appreciate oxygen. You won't. So similarly, only if you grasp the darkness Israel was living in and the totally deserved gloom of anguish that they deserve, only then will you understand and appreciate chapter 9, verse 1, which says, But there will be no gloom. Now, the but is no longer a but, isn't it? It is a but. It is a but. A big but. Sorry if I mispronounced that by but. A life-saving but for the Israelites. If you have not loved the buts in the Bible, after today, you will. Romans 3.21 But now, the righteousness of God has been revealed. You wouldn't appreciate that only if I read to you again from Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So by the works of law, no human beings will be justified in God's sight. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed. 
Romans 5. One rarely died for a righteous person, which is true. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, talking about humanity again. You were day in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, is now, the spirit that is now at work in the times of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. What do you expect? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. As we shall see, Isaiah 9 is the great gospel, not just for the Israelites, but for the entire human race, including you and me. But it will sound nothing more than some plain verses to our ears if we fail to recognize Israel's and humanity's darkness. So we must understand this one point. Mankind rightly deserve nothing less than full condemnation for our wickedness and for spitting at the one who so loves and so cared for us. But, but, you get it? But, now I think we are getting closer to singing How Great is Our God. Isaiah 9 verse 1 But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he, God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali referring to the 8th century destruction of the northern kingdom. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. God is promising Israel that a day when light will be shined upon them. Notice the source of the light. It is shined upon them. Passive voice. Even. It came from outside. It was shined upon them. It wasn't a dim light that somehow existed in wicked people that suddenly burst into flame one day. Buddha. No. Remember that all these people love darkness. They exchange light for darkness. Left on their own, they will just continue to love and stay in darkness. Verse 2, they were walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. That is, they are okay. They are okay living in their wicked ways. Let me ask you. In your office, for those who are still working and not retired, 
even arrogant, disrespectful, smart Alec Jr. insulted you intentionally. Okay? What would you do as a senior when he stops off in his own project? Just let him drown and die, isn't it? He deserved it. He's arrogant. He insulted you. There's no respect. But God is different. Our God is different. Different from us. Verse 2. On them, on people who walk in darkness, God shined a great light. How great is our God. And hasn't God done just that in Jesus? Matthew 4 that was read to us. Jesus was God's glorious way by the sea. As he began his preaching ministry in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, the true light which enlightens everyone has come into our dark world. Isaiah 9 verse 3. Take a look. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with a joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. There is more to this good news. For not only will there be no gloom for those who deserve it, they receive good things that they don't deserve at all. The joy of harvest when they have not worked. The gladness of spoils when they have not fought. The key phrase in this verse that makes the good news so good is, you want to make a guess? They rejoice. They rejoice. The people will actually rejoice. Let me explain. Verse 4 uses two imageries to describe what is it that God will do which will bring about joy. See if you can tell as I read it again. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Well, the two imageries. First, the release from slavery image, alluding us to Exodus. Second, the victory in war image, alluding us to judges. The promise here is that God will act mightily again as he has done in the past. But there is a difference. In Exodus, God revealed himself. He rescued his people from the slavery in Egypt. You remember that. He bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. And how did the people respond, do you remember? Rejoice? No, far from it. They grumble and wish to die. Eventually, they worship a golden calf. In Judges, God gave victory to Israel over Midian. In chapter 6, what was their response? Rejoice? No again. By chapter 8, they went into apostasy. By chapter 9, anarchy. In the face of the mighty God and his redemptive act, in the face of a loving and caring God, people in darkness did not rejoice. 
So don't think that rejoicing is a natural response that people who live in darkness will give. But now, the promise is that in the great day of hope, people will actually rejoice. That's what the verse says. Do you follow? That is good news. People who are made in the image of God, people who bear His image, finally turn from despising their God, their loving Creator, to rejoicing in how great He is. Rightly so. And hasn't that happened in Jesus already? The resurrected Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in His disciples, writing the laws on their hearts. Today, Christians rejoice over our release from the slavery of sin and darkness and death. Verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a comforting picture of an ended war. Enemies are defeated. The weapons are burned. The people of God simply walk into the battlefield where the fighting is already done. They have not fought in the battle at all. They just enter freely into the fruits of the Lord's victory. God has done it all. And brothers and sisters, people of God, doesn't that sound too familiar? Our great Savior, Jesus Christ. He did it all, didn't he? A sinless man, he was wounded for our transgressions. And he defeated sin and death on that great battlefield, Calvary. And mind you, it sure was a hard-fought battle. Remember Gethsemane? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but what you will. Jesus was in agony. His sweat was like great drops of blood. And remember Golgotha? Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The battle was won for us. He fought it. And friends, not only has God done it all already to save us, He continues to do it all until we finish the race. An evangelist from Sydney, John Chapman, died recently, just last week, I think, or the week before. Let me read to you what my friend Tricia wrote to me in an email. At 2.30 p.m., we are meeting in the cathedral for John Chapman's memorial service. I think it will be a great gathering of the Anglican family and be very inspiring as we remember God's faithfulness to John over many years. Did you get that? As we remember God's faithfulness to John over many years. The emphasis is on God's faithfulness. And this is what this sister has seen. 
Those God predestined, He also called, and those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. It has always been and will always be all of Him and none of us. How great is our God. Verse 6. Here God's promise reaches a climax with the promise of a birth of a new king. Verse 6, our Christmas verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Have you ever asked for such a king or such a government? If there is a, such a thing as a job advertisement for the position of a prime minister or a president, will you find these requirements written there? Wonderful counsellor, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the job descriptions? To achieve and maintain peace eternally. To establish and to uphold a nation with justice and righteousness, now and forevermore. Have I asked for such a government? It is a nonsensical question that I don't even bother to entertain. We never ask and never even bother to dream. It's impossible. It's a fairy tale. It's ridiculous. But friends, this is how ridiculously great the Christian God is. It blows your mind. To us a son is given, his one and only son. Isaiah 9 began with a big claim, remember? Verse 1, there will be no gloom. God wasn't boasting, he wasn't joking, and neither was he drunk. He meant it. He's installing a perfect king. He will make sure that there will be no gloom. And hasn't God done just that in Jesus? Jesus is a wonderful counsellor. He doesn't need any strategies, chief of staff or advisors. He has wisdom like that of God himself, for he is God. If you have not already done so, can I suggest that you try reading some of Jesus' teachings? And see for yourself how completely wise he is. Start from the Sermon on the Mount. Christmas, holidays is the best time to do it. Jesus doesn't need any successor either. No succession plan. It is solid rock. For he is everlasting. He died and he conquered death and he lives forevermore. 
Jesus established and maintains peace with God and with humanity eternally. He rules with absolute justice and righteousness. To wicked humanity, God has given to us this impossible king. How great is our God. Last verse, chapter 9, 7b. All this wonderful act of salvation that we have seen so far, this wonderful king, salvation and restoration, what assurance is there that God will do all this? 7b. Because this is simply who God is. Is. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord will do this. It is in God's very being, very nature, very character that He will do this. This is simply how great God is. Is. So the next time someone asks you, how is it that Christians can sing how great is our God in such a dark world, tell them, wait till you hear about my God. He loves even such a world that you and I see. So are you free? Let me tell you about him and what he has done over coffee. So let me now pray and we will sing together How Great is Our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that has preserved us in the ups and downs of life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has enabled us to say and to sing how great you are in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that we face in this dark world. Father, as we continue to live in this world and suffer the consequences of sin, we thank you for your divine, merciful, gracious intervention that rescued us who have faith in Jesus. We thank you for your great works of salvation in Jesus. As a church, as brothers and sisters, we look forward together to the return of your Son when all evil all sorrows, all tears, all wickedness will be completely put away and we will live perfectly under your perfect King, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.